0: Welcome to Happiness 2.02 podcast. I'm your host, John Tuckums, founder, author, World Government Summit participant, and Forbes featured TEDx speaker, an inquisitive human who loves rude knowledge. Happiness 2.02 is a mental health show for entrepreneurs that provides the full human cognition and the full breathing oxygen tools to rapidly shift states of mind and increase energy. Podcast guests include organization founders, world-renowned executives, MDs, PhDs, and remarkable leaders who have incredible stories and are helping billions of people to find their happiness oxygen. You are listening to Happiness 2.02. This is your host, John Tuckums. You are listening to episode 13 with Dr. Michael Miller. Michael is a keynote speaker, best selling author, and a professor of cardiovascular medicine at the University of Maryland School of Medicine. While you're listening to this podcast, if anything stands out to you as thought provoking or remarkable, take a screenshot and write down what you've heard from Michael. Post the insight on social media, text the idea to a friend, or email what you've learned to a family member. Get this information out there. Without further ado, episode 13 of Happiness 2.02 podcast with Dr. Michael Miller. Michael, time is a finite resource. Underline everything that you do across your life, your leadership, your books, your speaking engagements. Why do you do what you do? Ultimately, what drives you at your core?
1: Thanks, John. You you know, um, I I think uh, I've had a longstanding passion and interest in preventing heart disease, and uh, a lot of this stems from uh, family history. So my father died when I was quite young, and he died uh, during the time, back in the 1960s. It was sudden. Um, He was a a heavy cigarette smoker at the time, and uh, also had a fair amount of life stressors. So as a young child seeing that, kind of gave me the impetus uh, as I grew older to try to find ways that uh, we hopefully could prevent that from happening to other young people in the
0: future. Fantastic. And do you remember that first kind of uh, moment in time? Was there a specific, whether it was in elementary school, middle school, high school, that uh, you decided, you know, this is something that I, I really want to start thinking about as a career. Uh, it sounds like you had some very early influences in terms of your dad and, uh, you know, just near, you know, close family members. Uh, was there a point in time that you recall that, uh, uh, whether it was in university or uh, middle school, high school, uh, that you really decide to pursue this as as kind of the career path?
1: I think it was. Uh, it, it occurred over a period of time, so I don't think there was any, except for that that one specific event, uh, uh, as I mentioned. I think uh, as I grew older and I became more curious about about uh, the field of medicine, and I have to tell you that my pediatrician was uh, somebody uh, that I thought was was really phenomenal because he was very interactive with, uh, with us, both my brother and I, and other family members. I remember when I was really sick, you know, we're in the, the current COVID pandemic, but when I was young, I actually had the Hong Kong flu. Ah. Uh, I was in bed for about two weeks and he came up, he made house calls and, uh, was just such a, uh, a great physician. And so I try to model myself after uh, someone who uh, demonstrated great empathy and uh, just really
0: cared. That's absolutely amazing. Uh, and, and so as part of that that, that journey early on, uh, you had these uh, experiences of, uh, you know, a, a a tremendous pediatrician, your dad. Um, and then uh, as part of that journey, though, to, you know, to actually pursue you know, a medical career, uh, that's a tremendous amount of, of studies. Was there a point in time, too, as well? Uh, you know, perhaps it was the pediatrician that uh, talked to you at some point in time. And was like this, is, this might be a great you know, career to pursue. Uh, do you remember, can you recall or you can share with the audience kind of how that uh, evolved uh, to become your passion?
1: Yeah, so um, uh, I don't think he and I ever discussed it uh, per se, but as I was going through my schooling and uh, some of my friends had family members that were in the medical profession, for example, we had uh, nobody in, in my family that that uh, was a physician, uh, but uh, looking on others and um, uh, seeing how uh, their interactions with patients and so forth kind of gave me an idea. And then um, uh, finally, uh, when I uh, went through university, I think it, it really struck a um, more important, uh, I guess, position or priority for me. I said, this is basically what I need to do. I, I volunteered at hospitals uh, in high school and, and uh, did some volunteer work. And I think uh, a lot of those helped to materialize and uh, basically crystallize what I ended up doing.
0: Yeah, absolutely amazing, um, and as part of that uh, volunteer work, uh, it sounds like you, you went through a tremendous amount of adversity uh, with uh, your dad dying suddenly. Uh, but uh, I, I get the sense that uh, you figured out that giving back is something that you could do uh, as part of learning and as part of you know, also getting experience. Uh, early on in the medical field uh, can you share just a little bit about that uh, that adversity too as well you know kind of that you went through uh, because that's probably something that that weighed on you for for many years and or even to this day uh, to an extent but uh, you know you found ways to kind of overcome and, and get through that and actually turn that into you know an energy with inside you that uh, propels you forward Can you share some details around that
1: Oh sure, Jonah. And I think I think what's what's important is, uh, uh, for, at least from my standpoint, is is uh, having suffered that loss at a young age really kind of gave me some idea that you never take any person, anybody for granted. You don't take life for granted and, and you try to work with, um, what you have, um, the skill set that you have, always try to make things better for yourself as, as you can, but you do it in a way that, that is, uh, is positive. So you're kind to other people. You're respectful to other people. Um, uh, and I think that has, uh, help me because if, whether you're doing volunteer work or other ask or, or, or other uh, things that you, you might do on a, on a regular basis, if you just show kindness and, uh, and respect, those are two s- s- uh, extremely important facets that I try to use in my daily life.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that, uh, such a, such important and powerful words. And as part of your journey, uh, Imagine that uh, as you're doing volunteer work, you're going through your studies, uh, you've found new top gears to get into because uh, just the demands of, uh, of studying and also learning on your own too as well. Can you share with the audience uh, some of the experiences that gets you to kind of uh, pinnacle states, flow states or experiencing flow in your, in your daily life?
1: Yeah, I, I think, at least for me, um, I, I have to do, I, I have to really try to get focused because once I can get into the, uh, a lot of people refer to it as the zone, once you can get into the zone, then you're off and running. And to me, it's just getting to that point. And to help me do that, uh, it's, um, it's really trying to work on things in, on a daily basis. So for an example, i just recently took up the guitar uh, mm-hmm. and um, oh, I should say I've been trying to, to play with played for a number of years, but I never really sat down and gave myself a dedicated time to do it. So uh, like any other thing you want to get good at, you really need to take the time. It doesn't have to be a lot of time each day, but you set up a dedicated period, whether it's 10, 15 minutes and, and I think that has helped me in a lot of things, because whether you're in medical school, taking courses or whatever you might be doing to really become proficient at something. And uh, which, of course, makes you feel better about yourself, then you really need kind of um, a specific, dedicated period to try to get into that zone.
0: Mm, thank you for sharing. And how would you describe, sometimes it's hard to put into the States when Uh, you know, with guitar or another activity that you're doing that, how would you describe that in terms of your breathing?
1: Yeah, no, I think breathing is is really important. Uh, Taking slow, deep breaths, Uh, You know, uh, and uh, trying to get, um, expand your little air sacs or the alveoli are really important. And uh, just coincidentally, uh, for people who have, uh, if they've actually developed, if they've uh, been unfortunate enough to develop COVID, uh, what the idea is uh, to try to avoid being placed in the hospital. Unfortunately, only a very small percentage get into the hospital. But to try to even prevent that from happening is to really work on your breathing. Take deep breaths, move around, do not stay idle. And in that manner, it uh, kind of allows you to have both a a fresher mental state, but it, it could also be an important
0: physiological state. Uh, and so, really, that, uh, that experience of doing something that's challenging that gets you to this uh, incredibly focused state. And I love the idea that you take time each day to work on something that uh, you're becoming more and more uh, proficient over time. Uh, and that adds to, uh, and that adds to your happiness and well-being. Um, if you'd share with the audience too, some, what are some of the other small things that you do to maintain happiness? and well-being in your personal life. Life has its ups and downs, and uh, whether it's you know getting up early or maybe it's something that like a break during the middle of the day, if uh, you can share with the audience some of the things that you do. Sure. So
1: the, so the first thing I try to do, I get up in the morning and make my wife a cup of coffee, which she really appreciates. So uh, small things. You know, I think the idea for essential happiness is doing small things on a consistent basis that um, may benefit yourself indirectly, but certainly benefits, uh, others. Um, and, uh, when you benefit others, then you of course will benefit yourself. So, um, doing, doing that, I do that every day. We, you know, we have, um, we may exchange words of, uh, you know, I love you and so forth, but I think doing small things is important. And uh, then my, have my two of my kids are home because of COVID and this is the first time they're home in the summer in in, in eight years. We'll yeah. so try to uh, work with them as well. And uh, with my son, who's uh, uh, we try to play basketball or we play pool or doing small things. And my daughter is a, is a little bit different, um, but uh, uh, we try to uh, work on puzzles together and uh, doing those things on a daily basis. Even if it's just, again, you don't need to spend hours doing these things. It just takes a a few minutes to show appreciation
0: uh, and uh, really try to enjoy the moment. Are there any activities that you do kind of to cap off your day? It sounds like you spread out activities, uh, as you talked about, really those small things that really contribute to essential happiness. Uh, Is there anything you do towards the the end of the day that helps uh, also add to your well-being uh, or happiness?
1: Yeah, I, I meditate at night. I think is, uh, again, just a relatively short period of night as I'm going um, uh, right before bedtime. Both my wife and I meditate. So uh, we do that. Um, I I try to eat an early dinner uh, so that I could uh, do some activity. And I think this is important. I try to tell my patients this as well. Part of the reason that we have a Uh, a major, certainly in the States, a major obesity epidemic is number one, we eat too late. And number two, we don't do anything about it afterwards. So if you eat early enough, and what what I uh, say to my patients is try to have a window of at least four hours before bedtime where you have your last meal or eat anything. Don't eat anything. I mean, you could drink water, but don't uh, consume anything. And that allows, and then afterwards, take a walk. So after dinner, if the weather is conducive, to take a walk and um, allow your body to try to, to break down some of the food that you've eaten. And what that does is by the time you go to bed, uh, and you're not, you shouldn't go to bed feeling full Um, in my opinion, because if you're active, your body's going to be active processing that food overnight. And some of that food is broken into sugars and that could keep your mind a little bit overactive. And so if you can give yourself a fairly uh, reasonable period of time after your last meal and and, and bedtime, it will allow your body to be more restful as well from a physi from a physiologic standpoint. So you want your mind to be restful and you can do meditation or whatever you enjoy doing to relax and then keep your body restful as well.
0: Yeah, that's tremendous. What are some of the the projects right now that you're currently working on? I understand that underlying what you do as a physician, uh, across so many different facets is uh, preventing heart disease. Uh, can you share with the audience some of the initiatives or some of the speaking engagements that, that you do really to to spread this message? I understand that you've written books, too, as well in the past. Uh, but I'd love to hear more about some of the uh, kind of the projects that you're working on and, and the practice that you have, too, as well.
1: Yes, I, I've been focusing um, now. So. My way of, of of thinking as to the best way to prevent heart disease is really multifaceted and really three different uh, uh, aspects one is nutrition, a second is activity, and a third is emotional health so if you put all three together and you could and you could work on each of these, then uh, it stands to reason that you will be in the best position to keep your cardiovascular health in good shape. So some of the areas that I've been working on uh, have focused on nutrition. And um, uh, one of my areas of interest has been in how uh, we process blood fats, also known as triglycerides. You've heard of cholesterol, but one of cholesterol's cousins is the blood fat or triglycerides. And so uh, I've done a fair amount of work in in that area and uh, working uh, for the American Heart Association uh, and on the nutrition uh, council for the American Heart Association, we've looked at that and we have a a large study that's set to begin. Uh, It was supposed to start uh, July 1st, but it's going to be delayed now because of COVID. And it's basically trying to understand how different fats are processed. So one of the more popular fats uh, that is being used currently I'm sure, both in the U.S. and Canada, is coconut oil. Mm-hmm. So the purpose of our project is to see whether or not coconut oil is processed differently than other fats. Uh, it's a very controversial area, but it's really important to kind of sort out. So we know that a lot of people might use coconut oil on their skin and so forth. But the question is, is it is it um, safe or healthy to consume? And we really don't know. Interestingly enough, uh, the, the studies really haven't been done. So we're going to look at that and, uh, and we'll let you know in, in, in once we get that study finished, but it's going to take a while. So that's one area of my interest. Another area of my interest with respect to nutrition is omega-3 fats. So hmm. these are the fats that we get from fish. Uh, and uh, and it turns out, if you go back, there have been some very interesting studies that have shown that the reason we progress in terms of our brain function is when people, or our hominids, if you will, or homo, early homo sapiens and so forth, moved to the islands. So that's when their brain developed and got larger, and it was as a result of eating fish. So uh, fish consumption really helps to help with cognitive function. And uh, that's been a longstanding area of interest. So that's nutrition uh, activity. Then, of course, emotional health, as you mentioned. I've been uh, interested for a long time on some of the positive aspects. So trying to connect. So where I try to connect positivity is thinking about heart health. What are the positive things for heart health that you can do? And one of the things uh, is... uh, we talked about cholesterol, but there's the good cholesterol, HDL. So we've been longstanding interest in that and then thinking, well, if, if having a good HDL is positive, what other aspects might be positive? And that's when we got into emotional health. And that's when we started our studies on laughter.
0: Can you share with the audience a little bit more, too, as well, just in terms of kind of early findings as it relates to studies with uh, with, uh, you know, breath, which, you know, laughter encompasses. Can you share a little bit with some of the, the kind of the earlier findings that uh, that you've seen or just what you've seen in terms of uh, results when people have used breath and use breath in a very specific way, uh, really to help kind of emotional positivity?
1: Yeah. So um, now some of the early studies just try to get a better handle as to whether whether uh, feeling lighthearted and laughing was associated with uh, feelings of um, cardio. You know, if if you felt better in general, if you laughed more, if you had a good sense of humor, people that demonstrated those uh, characteristics. Tended to be at lower risk of heart disease, and mm. and so we we should we we published that paper uh, twenty years ago now, so it's going back uh, a ways. And then shortly thereafter, we wanted to look at a direct effect, uh, and that's when we looked at. You've had I don't know if you're familiar with um, ultrasound studies. So there, you could do an ultrasound study of your blood vessels, and so we did a study actually several studies, taking uh, volunteers and having an ultrasound probe placed on their upper arm, which is to look at one of your main blood vessels from your arm, and then exposing them to a situations, movies or, or funny clips, and seeing that their blood vessel actually dilated, opened up, compared to showing them movies that were that would make you feel a bit more stressed out. Uh, and that kind of clamped the blood vessels. Now, it turns out when people were laughing, they were taking deep breaths in. And uh, that, of course, again, allows that full respiration uh, is part of the, the whole process. Uh, but it does work. It makes a big difference. And so uh, we believe that there is an inherent benefit of laughter on our vast Vasculature, blood vessels, which in turn is due to release of, of chemicals, and uh, that have uh, beneficial effects on the heart, the cardiovascular system. Uh, Doctor uh, Kateria, uh, Madan Kateria, uh, then and I've done some stuff, uh, and it was subsequent to that. Uh, he's the he's um, uh, the founder of Laughter Yoga as you know. And and, um, and, and his belief is, you, you know, you work to take deep breaths and that uh, leads to a, a series of reactions that are also uh, helpful and beneficial to your heart. So breathing and laughter uh, are basically work hand-in-hand hand to try to improve some of these
0: physiological effects. Absolutely tremendous. So you really found a way to, uh, really from a science base, from uh, a medical perspective, uh, really to study, you know, ways that, uh, you know, not only through nutrition and activity, which you talked about, you know, kind of walking, but actually looking to ways that a person can make decisions, like, you know, conscious decisions to impact their own physiology, uh, their own, you know, their own uh, cardiovascular system, uh, to release chemicals that ultimately helps um, you know, their, their cardiovascular system. Is that correct?
1: That, that, that is correct. And, and, and here, so uh, I think the, the key thing here is because we all have really good laughs and, and I've been to, to laughter yoga sessions and they're, they're quite fun. And you get not only, I mean, I think the, the, the genius of this is you get a workout So you're walking around, you're being energized, you're breathing, you're laughing, and all those uh, activities really. I think, play an important role in your cardiovascular system. Now, if you don't do laughter yoga, and just want to laugh, then the best way uh, to know that you're getting the benefit is to have what we would call the physiologic response. And the physiologic response is really bringing tears to your eyes. And we've all experienced this. So uh, I get my best laughter, actually, with laughing with people that I really enjoy being with. And it's because uh, laughter being so infectious, if there's a good laugh, then you get tears come down your eyes, you feel great. And it's because, again, the release of, of chemicals such as uh, beta endorphins, and then it activates other blood chemicals in the cardiovascular system, nitric oxide, and this kind of tag team, if you will, appears to really lead to the beneficial uh, effects on the blood vessels.
0: Thank you for sharing that's, uh, and the way that you described too, just laughing to tears. I think that's so rare for people to actually experience in their, in their daily life. Um, you know, I think, you know, children early on, they have, uh, probably a very distinct advantage because, you know, they're amused by so many different things. And then uh, it seems like we progress through life and we don't actually even carve out the time, let alone experience what you just described there, getting to uh, almost like tears of joy, so to speak. Can you talk a little bit more about that uh, physiologic response or physiological response you talked about beta endorphins and also nitric oxide and kind of that interplay between the two. I'd love to hear more, if you can, share uh, just that, about that kind of the interplay and just how that uh, ultimately impacts uh, you know, blood vessels as well.
1: Oh, yeah, sure. So, uh, again, it's um, uh, it. Uh, this effect appears to be driven from starting from the brain and what tends to happen is, these beta endorphins that are released in response to laughter find specific receptors. Um, And we didn't know this until about uh, 15 years ago or so, but specific receptors were shown uh, on the surface of our blood vessels. And so when we laugh, these beta endorphins come down, part of the byproducts are then Ta- see these specialized receptors are taken up, and that leads to this cascade where nitric oxide is then activated within the blood vessel. Nitric oxide is such an important chemical. Uh, first, uh, it's it, it's uh, the the founders, those that actually identified nitric oxide uh, as being an important chemical, won the Nobel Prize about. Uh, 20 15 20 years ago wow. and, and what that does is it has a number of biochemical effects and biological effects and and they include of course as we said already opens up blood vessels but it also limits inflammation so mm. uh, it uh, it basically down down regulates if you will or it reduces or suppresses um, regular the up activation of these uh, scavenger cells and scavenger cells, uh, certain white cells that promote inflammation. So it does that. It reduces inflammation. It also reduces uh, our platelets from sticking. It reduces the stickiness of platelets. Now, this is important because if we think about how a person has a heart attack, a heart attack is usually a composition or a combination of two different processes. One is a buildup of plaque, uh, cholesterol plaque uh, as the, the prototype. And the way you build up this plaque is really by having these macrophages, if you will, they just um, release, they just take up cholesterol, take up lipid, and then they form together and they form this cholesterol plaque. So nitric oxide reduces that ability. The second thing nitric oxide do by reducing platelets, it also reduces clot formation. And when you have a heart attack, virtually, 99% of the time, it's the result of a combination of having this overlying foundation of a plaque, too much plaque, and on top of that are platelets that clump together and cause blockage of that blood vessel. And nitric oxide actually keeps things at bay. So it reduces the stickiness of platelets, it reduces um, the ability of plaque formation by reducing inflammation, and it also has effects on blood pressure again, by causing vapor dilation. So all of these things acting in tandem really help to reduce the risk of heart disease over a period of time. Now, now you, you point out very uh, importantly that, yes, we as adults are not bringing tears to our eyes every day as children do. But if we could do this uh, two, three times a week, it, it could have really, uh, we believe, some enormous effects because we know that the effect because actually there's been research in this, the studies have shown that the effect of laughter on the blood vessels can last up to 24 hours. So if you laugh every other day and you get tears to your eyes, uh, even if it's uh, two times a week, three times a week ideally, but if you could do that um, even two times a week, you're going to get most of the week your your, um, uh, blood vessels are going to be in pretty good shape. And that's not to say that we want to do bad things like it, it's not going to negate if you smoke cigarettes, for example, or you're not taking care of yourself. But it will have a benefit uh, and try to help to maintain or maximize healthiness. Uh, the other point I want to make that you said that I thought was was critical is that kids laugh a lot. And why do kids, in part, laugh so much—two, three hundred times a day—versus adults, which is what a few times. Uh, I don't know, maybe five times max, and they're not bringing, even bringing tears to their eyes. But part of the reason is kids don't take themselves seriously. And so if we could find a way not to take ourselves, or at least part of the time, to take ourselves the less seriously, uh, even being a little bit self-effacing, being uh, showing a little bit of humility, I think that's actually good for our own health. People will appreciate you, but it's also good for your health.
0: Well, absolutely. Tremendous. Like what you described there, Uh, you know, this, this journey of, uh, you know, really across your life, you know, really an early kind of influence in terms of your dad, you know, where you really had a moment in time that probably shook you up tremendously, having great influences in terms of uh, a pediatrician that really, you know, cared for you in a way that you probably hadn't seen otherwise, otherwise. And then going through this journey to really, to get down to the core mechanisms behind the scenes, the core science. Uh, that now you can apply uh, with, with inside your practice and individuals and, uh, you know, across, uh, you know, different engagements and issues that you have. Uh, you talked about, uh, you know, bringing down inflammation using, uh, you know, laughter as, as a mechanism. Uh, and there's a whole host of additional kind of uh, you know, physiological and, and mental benefits. I was wondering if you'd tie in, too, as well, just uh, with nutrition, because I understand that nutrition can also bring down inflammation, too, as well. It sounds like you've developed a system and uh, almost like a protocol, so to speak, to really to look at a whole bunch of different facets and really to working with a patient uh, to help them achieve you know, phenomenal results. But you're looking at it from different perspectives. But I'd love to hear more about the nutrition aspect.
1: Sure, John. And, and so this is where I put a plug in for my book called "Heal Your Heart: um, The Positive Emotion Prescription to Prevent and Reduce Heart Disease." And, and basically, there the focus is uh, a lot of the focus is on nutrition. Uh, we have a section listing the top fifty foods, and, and this is really based on research that has been conducted around the world over. A number of years, and and it turns out that there are a lot of foods that have anti-inflammatory and antioxidant properties, and 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 so I will say from the outset, you want to eat the food rather than take the supplement, uh, because supplements generally are processed differently by the body, and supplements might be um, not carry some of the other nutritional value that that certain foods do uh, to. To get to maximize um, getting that anti-inflammatory, antioxidant effect, and so what are these foods? Well, it's it's uh, generally going to be foods that are that are healthy for us. These are vegetables, and uh, and you name it. The more colorful the vegetable, as a general rule, the more high uh, content of uh, of antioxidants it contains. So uh, vegetables and fruits are, are 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 key, lots of spices that you could add um, uh, like cumin, for example. Um, garlic is is really good as an antioxidant onion. so uh, there are all these foods um, that uh, have these chemical products that have that can really help us on a daily basis in terms of uh, keeping our uh, inf- levels of inflammation down. Now, that has to be coupled, of course, that that you don't feel overly stressed out because what we, we haven't really t- talked about is mental stress. So while laughter and feeling good and and eating healthy uh, is great for us from the standpoint of maintaining uh, balance and, and cardiovascular benefit if we don't get good night's sleep, if we're overly stressed, then you negate some of the benefits. Or another way of saying is maybe maybe eating healthy may reduce some of those benefits. But if you're living undue stress on a regular basis, then um, you're probably not going to get the benefit from eating healthy as you otherwise would.
0: Thank you. And is there anything that you want to talk about, uh, just undue stress, just to share with the audience what that, that means to you um, You know, as part of uh, the book? Uh, I know they, they can find out more. Uh, but just as, as you think of stress, because I think the word stress means different things to different people. But uh, you talked about undue stress. If you could share just a little bit more with the audience uh, what you mean by that.
1: Right. So so when I'm talking about undue stress is stress that is being felt on a day-to-day basis. Now, we all undergo some things, uh, some a stressful periods. So there could be you know, a, a time or a, a short interval where life is stressful for somebody at a university. It could be right before examinations, for example, or if you're not feeling well um, over uh, a a relatively short period of time. What I'm talking about, undue stress, is a chronic stress. So something more than two weeks that is sustained. So you wake up. You don't want to wake up in the morning. You're not getting a good night's sleep. You're, you're, um, uh, you just um, uh, either super anxious or um, or just feel that. Um, the world's against you. So those are the kinds of things that you're experiencing on a day-to-day basis that really takes its toll. Now, whether it's, it could be obviously related to personal issues or related to uh, work issues and so forth. But if you're experiencing them on a chronic basis, Mm. And at least two weeks is kind of a a feeling of more chronic Then that could wreak havoc, start to wreak havoc um, on uh, just on our take a take a uh, a toll on on our body. If it's short term, you know, if it's short term stresses, our body can deal with that uh, and we could effectively overcome it. But when it becomes more long, long term, it becomes more problematic.
0: Can you share as well, uh, just as kind of a, a kind of a, a follow-on question is just really that, uh, that long kind of term toll is I think a lot of people, we think about stress, we know that uh, it impacts us, but we don't really think of it terms of heart health. And can you just share, you know, kind of a, kind of an overarching um, you know, way of describing how to, how to best think about all the activities that a person, all the choices that a person has uh, across their life, whether it's nutrition, emotional health uh, activities that they do, uh, like walking, as it contributes to heart health.
1: Sure, so uh, I mean we'll start with nutrition again um, uh, the overarching goal here is, is is to basically try to eat um, more in the early part of the day rather than the late part of the day I think the Euro- Europeans have it right they have they eat their biggest meal at lunch rather than dinner which is more common of course in the states I'm not sure uh, if Canada is more European or more state-like in terms of when you have your... uh Big meal, um, but uh, so eating more early part of the day, eating healthy. Uh, try not to, you know. Uh, I mean, unless there's like a special occasion where you have to eat a lot. Our bodies are not made from a physiological standpoint. Our bodies are not made to consume uh, two thousand calories at one sitting. So right. yeah, if you, if you do it once in a while, not a problem. But again, people that are doing this on a regular basis, we just can't process. Our bodies not able to process that uh, quantity of food in such a short period of time. So eating uh, better to eat smaller meals and then have perhaps your biggest meal uh, during during the mid part of the day. So you can kind of process process it as, as the day goes on. Then then we have, of course, um, uh, the activity, as, as, as I mentioned, you don't have to run marathons. Do what you enjoy doing. Some people enjoy walking, whether it's biking, swimming, but do something, get out of your chair. So uh, I'm standing up right now because you really shouldn't be seated, uh, seated for more than 30, 20, 30 minutes at a time. So you just stand up and stretch. And so I recommend if you work in the office, get up every 20 to 30 minutes stand up, stretch, walk around the hallway if you can, uh, do something. Uh, so I think, uh, again, sed- being sedentary now is, is is viewed as a really adverse risk factor for heart disease. And then, of course, the adverse, uh, feeling the adverse stress, because what happens is if you're emotionally feeling stressed out, blood pressure rises, pulse rate rises, Um, in susceptible, unusual cases that could trigger an abnormal heart rhythm if you're overly stressed. Again, because you have the confluence of all of these factors that that, uh, promote inflammation and promote platelet stickiness and promote plaques to come in and so forth. And it's really when you rupture that so-called plaque that you uh, have a cardiovascular event. So, huh. undue, so undue stress really, I think is something that we could try to work through, um, either meditation, things that relax you, listening to music you enjoy, or, or as we discussed laughter. And so things that could kind of reduce, uh, that, uh, kind of undue anxiety or stress.
0: Absolutely. Amazing. Uh- such an incredible journey of uh, all these early influences, your dad, and your pediatrician, and uh, really now being able to, you know, bring this tremendous knowledge forward and, you know, being able to, as you talked about, you know, really to turn something that uh, you're interested into, your passion, and you can definitely uh, uh, hear it across your voice. Um, and you're also, you're working with you know, organizations like the American Health uh, Heart Association and, being ways to even further advance the science uh, behind the work that, uh, that you've been doing for many years. Uh, where can people find you, uh, Dr. Miller?
1: Sure. Um, so uh, probably the, the best way uh, to find me is um, to go, uh, I have a, a website, that website might change now, but it's uh, drmichaelmiller.org is the website. They could also find me through, uh, I'm at the University of Maryland School of Medicine. And, um, I guess you could just also Google me and, uh, uh, the book
0: is, uh, heal your heart and that's available on Amazon, et cetera. Absolutely amazing. Uh, do you have any parting words for the audience that, uh, just kind of final thoughts uh, you've come to this journey and, uh, you know, you're giving back tremendously, uh, you know, with the passion and you're constantly learning it. You can tell, uh, just by, you know, the way you've described the, the initiatives that you're working on, uh. Where, what kind of words would you have for an audience member as they're starting to think uh, even more in depth in terms of heart health, you know, really to, to get them down that path? Uh, obviously, your, your book would be a great resource, uh, but uh, kind of any parting words for the audience?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, uh, the expression that I like is the, the lean horse for the long race, and, which means that, that life is really a long race and that uh, if you have a bad day, Big deal, you know. Try to try not to dwell too much on it because you have the next day to look forward to. We're we're forward thinking, and um, so uh, try to uh, be positive. Try to be kind to people, and and uh, try not to get too down. Don't be too hard on yourself. Take yourself a little bit less seriously.
0: Michael, thank you for your leadership. Your books your speak engagements, and all the happiness oxygen you bring to the world. And a tremendous thank you to all of the listeners. As always, this has been your host, John Tuckums. You have made it to the end of the podcast. It's your host, John Tuckums. I want to take this moment to sincerely thank you. I'm incredibly grateful for the time you are taking to invest in your life. And if you gain something valuable from this episode and want to give me value somehow, I would tremendously appreciate it if you went to Apple Podcasts iTunes. If you have an Apple product where you listen to this podcast and leave this show a review, you are free to send me a message or email. Contact information is in the description below. Thank you again for listening and thank you for your contributions in helping billions of people. To to find their happiness oxygen.